Are you ready to go? The Kia? I'll definitely be mentioning Sundance again. Just don't, don't even pretend that that's exercise from the system. But we're not the only ones here today. No, returning to defend his cruiserweight championship belt, the screenwriting yeah. boy genius Chris Hutton. Oh, but what, are you, what are who you is this about? coming through the crowd? Oh. Is that? My God, that's a second guess. The U.S. champion Felix Kingsley. Hey. What are they doing here? Oh my God, I'm here to talk about my favorite show of all time. Oh, what a great segue. Fantastic. How is everyone this evening? You know, I'm doing pretty great. It's my one year anniversary at my job at a nursing home that I started three days before lockdown. Um, so I'm f- and I, you know what? I survived it. I'm feeling pretty good. Felix, whatever you say, do. Heck of a time to have started. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, what? I started right on, a, right on a COVID unit. Sorry to mention it. Whatever you do, do not let them end this podcast without giving you a nickname. Because I fought hard for mine. I'm going to get you one, too. I don't really have any nicknames. No, no, no. But they have to give you one. one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. By the end of the podcast. Yeah. So your favorite show? Paranoia Agent. Why? Yeah. Why? It's a big declaration. It's. I don't know if it's truly my favorite, but it is like my favorite anime. I've, I've said it for a long time. My older brother showed it to me, who was five years older than I was, and I feel like it was one of those first kind of like pieces of media where it felt like, oh, this is like an adult media that I'm sharing with my brother, and like who's yeah. like and like, oh wow, I have like taste now. It's not just like <laughs> this garbage. made you a discerning consumer. Yeah, because yeah, exactly. Because it was like one thing where I was like, "Wow, I can't talk to him about this." Like, this is like some random thing I found somehow that my friends don't know about. It's this weird, interesting like thing that is really thought provoking and like looks really cool. And I was like so excited, and like the music really stuck with me for like my entire life since I watched it. You know, I think the past. I don't know. Uh, do you go to sleep years. to the? Do you go to sleep? Yeah, to the Maromi theme. Sound? Yeah, yeah, like the end theme. Yeah, the Maromi theme. I absolutely would. I remember, like in middle or early middle school or early high school, like laying in bed all angsty and like listening to the soundtrack <laughs> and being like, "I'm just like, ugh." Like, Come on, Shonen back. Come get like, me for real. When I was really depressed, <laughs> I would listen to it and I would watch the show. I watched it all the time. Like um, one of my early like serious boyfriends bought me the dvd for like my birthday and then we watched the like special features on it chris and i together um now has your opinion of it has your interpretations of it has your appreciation of it like evolved over time oh absolutely so i've watched this like at least once every couple years probably since like 2005 or 6 and for listeners i i've only watched the sub um, I'm not someone who is like I watch both, so I, I'm not someone. Who, 
I actually mostly watch dubs, really. But this is one show where I really feel like I've watched part of the dub and I just feel like a lot is lost in translation. This is one show where I'd really feel pretty strongly about which one is the more appropriate one to watch. It's because it's such a nuanced show. And I feel like the fact that I first watched it when I was young has really influenced the way I think about it growing up. Because like I remember like the things that really stuck with me, like the woman with the like... I don't know, like DID, like the dissociative identity disorder, like her, that really stuck with me. And I feel like my development, even like seeing that early on and like really relating to that kind of like feeling she had and like relating that to like stuff with myself. And uh, I was very uh, freaked out by the like freaky pervert dad. Like that scarred me, I think, emotionally as like a. Yes. A young person, um, like really, I think that like traumatized me a little bit. Well, in fairness, yeah. I think it's fairly traumatizing. Mm-hmm. And this was like, I think a show that has really resonated with me at different times in my life for different reasons, like different storylines. Um, I think in particular one that, um, the one that's almost like a litmus test for like how I'm feeling in my life is, uh, what episode is it with the like, uh, the suicide pact yeah. family. I don't know which happy number, family, but happy yes. family planning. And what were we relating that to? We said it, we we pointed out that it was just like a plot in a different of his. Oh, <sighs> it was so much. No, we said that part reminded us so much of Tokyo Godfathers. Godfathers. Yeah, when we when I showed Chris because I showed Chris this show, I introduced it um, to him because it's been one of my favorites for so long, and uh, when we watched. Tokyo Godfathers for when uh, Chris was on your podcast last. Um, we talked about how much that reminded us of that episode in kind of like the dynamics and the intergenerational stuff. But that's like one episode that I feel like the way I thought about it when I was younger and how I understood what was going on and maybe relating a bit more to like the little girl in it and then like getting older and seeing it more from like the adult perspective and then like getting more perspective on life myself and then like just kind of thinking about how it's like a sad and touching and beautiful and like agonizing story and then watching Tokyo Godfathers and reflecting on that being from the same like creator and like oh what does that say what does those comparisons say about the themes of it like that's one episode in particular that I feel like my interpretation of has really grown so Chris she just brought up her like one of the episodes that she goes back to over and over again and that's also my favorite episode I think of all of them but it also feels like it's the most like outside of the main storyline of the series. Yeah. yeah, I was about to comment on that. In that it is, it very much feels like it is a a, a segue away from, or sort of just a couple of steps removed from the actual plot of everything else that goes on in the show. It's kind of when everything goes crazy. Like I feel like it's kind of like a before and after. Like that's when things really break loose. After that, I feel like. Yeah, I called it a pivot point when I was talking about it in the podcast. And I feel like uh, at that point in the series, we've sort of (laughs) taken our regulars as far as they can go. And we need to sort of like get into a new frame of mind in order to get to the back half of the series. But uh, Chris, what is your favorite and or most uh, the the episode you most admire? I'm going to have to like pull up a quick list because I'm pretty sure that I have one, but it's not like jumping out in my brain yet you can even talk about it in terms of what the story of that episode is because they are sort of anthology like 
um sometimes i have a hard stories. time separating what happens and what that's episode. what i was gonna say is like i i feel like i need to like look at like yeah sure. when just I was, like when i was young my favorite one was like the D kind of episode the one where like the the kid like the video game yeah episode, yeah that was, um like, my favorite when i was a kid where can i find just like an easy not video game but like the fake like imaginary world that one like that's called the holy warrior i believe yeah that yeah really uh you know, it's it's not my favorite, but just while we're here and I can talk about it, like I really like the episode where um, all the different people at that apartment complex are sort of talking about their different um, escalating rumors <laughs> oh about God, that's ETC. Amazing. That was so yeah. well written. Yes. Oh my yeah. gosh, that writing was amazing. Yeah, I love how it all leads up to the punchline. Of the woman like begging her bleeding husband who m- needs to go to the hospital to te- to give her the power that he has in that story. Yes. Mm. Yeah. God, that was just like that was like overwhelming. I felt like I was watching like a tap dance, like like in a good way. Like I mean, not the tap. I mean, the overwhelming in a good way. It was just like, oh my god, oh my god. Like this writing is like these exchanges are so good, and like this escalation is like just so well done. Yeah, I mean, like, all of it fucking rules. Because, like, I'm looking at these, like, you know, brief little synopsis. I'm like, oh, yeah, and that one's great, and that one's great, and that one's great. Like, Remember when I woke you up in the middle of the night because I couldn't, I had the song, though, like, dun, 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 dun. Yes. song stuck in my head, and I, oh, my God. The uh, the <laughs> episode where um, it's, like, the animator and, like, mm. everything that's going on with that, like, that one I remember being, like, really tense of, like, what the fuck you is were, going on, what's gonna happen, like, it's very, like, invested in, in the sort of, like, drama unfolding in that the one. The one where, like, everyone kept, like, dying or, yeah. like, getting fucked up. And, like, they- It's like Yakuza 5! <laughs> ah! It's like Park! <laughs> well, if I remember correctly, isn't that the one that is kind of, like, told, like, out of order? Like, they kind of jump around a little bit, and, like, it leaves you kind of, like, off- Footing, like in terms of figuring out what's going on and like yeah but- yeah there is a little bit because there's he's he's driving with the video and then he seems to pass out and there are these flashbacks where you assume they're flashbacks because he's delivering the final product of this video and he's you know it's hard to tell if it's forward insane. or back yeah it's it it bridges that weird place between metaphor and literal where you don't mm. know if he actually went around killing people or if it's just a metaphor for the anime industry bleeding mm. these people to death. Yeah, you which know, is part of what I love about the whole series because the whole thing is kind of like that, right? Especially in this last episode, the finale is like you could super go either way. It was like like was there literally a, a giant black blob that? like wrecked everything because this got out of control or yeah. is or this that all like in our subconscious yeah just like, like the collective feeling what do you feel like do you feel like it was literal or just like a manifestation of everyone's subconscious well like those? not to take like a shortcut answer but the thing that i think is the best about it is that like it Could simultaneously doesn't matter which way it was I and, agree with you there. and is really good either way I like agree with you. i buy it and enjoy it regardless of whether the intent was yeah. for it to i mean i honestly think it's past the point of there even being a like one set interpreted i this feel like the kind of thing that was written to be like whatever the fuck you want it to be yeah. was what it is like there are some things where it's like no this was sort of meant to be one or the other yeah and i feel like this is pretty much just like have this do with it what you will like yeah it's more about the feeling it's like yeah. impressionistic yeah since um, we're getting into it i did want to mention that when they when Tsukiko has her big breakthrough and saves Maromi, uh, picks her up and apologizes to her, him. I don't know. 
picks him up, picks up the, the puppy and apologizes to it for getting it killed. At that moment, uh, it, the screen goes into black and she floats up to the surface of water with her head facing upward. And I personally read that as, um, as waking from a sort of lucid dream. And if you've ever had a lucid dream, they feel very much like physically floating upwards through layers of water, like which represent your consciousness, but also like your physical form, like your physical body is made of water. That's very interesting because I lucidly, so I have narcolepsy and part of that is like lucid dreaming all the goddamn time, Um, which is, I say it tiredly because it's obnoxious to me how often it is because whatever, but um, is your nickname lucid in the sky with diamonds? <laughs> There's, there it is. <laughs> oh, but anyway, I uh, I don't feel like I understand the feeling you're discussing. Like, I don't feel like that's how that feels for me. So now I'm, tr- but like, I relate to like how you're describing it. Like, I mean, like, I can understand how you're describing it. Um, and I think that's an interesting. It's not the that. dreaming yeah. itself that feels like that, it's the waking. If you're in a lucid dream for me, mm. This is my personal experience. I don't know. I've I've seen other people who have this experience, so I don't know if it's universal or if it's yeah, specific yeah, yeah. to certain types of people or specific to certain experiences with this. But mm. it sort of mixes between the out-of-body experience of sort of letting go of sort of that mm. struggle that you feel in a dream where uh, when mm-hmm. you realize that things are going wrong, you mm-hmm. tend to like pull away and you yeah. can kind of lock up and like lock yourself out of like control. Um, but if you sort of let go and you float up, uh, a lot of times you can sort of regain control or enter a lucid state. And what I've experienced is that coming out of a lucid state into a waking state, I've, you, you sort of eliminate the barrier between the dream and reality by moving through it so fluidly that you don't even recognize that there is a difference. Like mm-hmm. I've woken up from dreams like that before. And it's been almost instantaneous. Usually when I wake up, it's I look like Princess Anna and Frozen with the hair all mm. messed up and just a like a thin layer of drool, tendril of drool hanging from my mouth. And Well, you're really selling it. Well, you know, uh, just typical like I need coffee sort of waking up. But then there's other types of of a of awakening state where you go straight from dreaming straight from sleeping into straight being awake and you're calm and it's zen and i got the same feeling from watching there will be blood so who knows which part of there will be blood were you like i love seeing paul dano just get the fucking shit beaten out of him like he does in all of his career it might be the whole movie but it's not about the plot it's about the it's about the (laughs) visuals and the sound design and the the sound production Mm. And uh, in the moment it ended, I went out out of the theater and I was like glowing. I love that. (laughs) Oh, God, I miss that feeling of walking out of a theater and being like, oh, my gosh. I've been left. Well, look at this sunshine. And I was in the dark. And (laughs) I just was in a world and now I'm out of it. I know that. Okay, yeah. Just break into amazing grace right there. (laughs) Oh, that's. I miss that. Oh, my. So let's get back into the episode sort of and um, just start because we were we've been sort of breaking them down uh, plot piece by plot piece. And so when this episode starts, we've sort of been set up for the finale where 
Tsukiko and Ikari are now both in this sort of fantasy fantasy world that he's that he's found himself in, where everything is sort of uh, idyllic and small towny and like his childhood. But now Tsukiko's there, and the show makes an interesting decision here, where it it casts Tsukiko as his daughter and he as her dad. Um. And this isn't the first time we've seen fathers and daughters in this series. Do you think there's something there? I'll ask Don first. This is, well, there's there's a lot of father-daughter stuff. And in fact, um, not to bring us backwards at all, but my favorite episode um, was the one uh, Fear of a Direct Hit, which actually has, uh, where Hirokawa's daughter, um, has an incident and forgets her father. So from that perspective, we do have uh, daughters and fathers represented, um, but we don't have, I'm trying to think if we have other sort of good positive ones, relationships. Non, non-horrifying ones. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, because that one is horrifying. I mean, it really his is daughter, Did rough. he have a daughter? Who was he always, he always wanted a daughter. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted a Yeah. It turns out that he, he and his wife were trying to conceive. They, they she was pregnant at some point, but she miscarried. Uh, that's just interesting. So anyway, Tsukiko's relationship going. with her father was not terrible. That's but what it was I was going to say. Yeah. I was going to say that I think, like by the end of the series, we see that that might have been a pretty decent relationship because of the way that he sort of always knew that the story about the dog wasn't true, but he kind of like let her have it anyway, and like you know what I mean. Like I feel like that was maybe one that was probably pretty okay. Yeah. I, he didn't seem like he was like father of the year material, but certainly he he seemed capable. I mean, he seemed normal, but um, we just don't get much insight into it. And we also don't get a sense like he doesn't visit her in the hospital or, you know, we don't otherwise see him in her life. I liked that. I liked that. Ikari's, like sort of revelation that this this little world that he's in is kind of bullshit and he needs to wake up and and get on with it comes from uh comes from Misae reminding him of his own words to her um where he was telling her you can't just run away you can't give up and there's this great moment where Sukiko calls him father and he just looks at her he's like I'm not your father. Yes, yeah. Since yeah. when was I ever your father? That was sort of my big triumphant moment in this one. And then he just shatters the whole place. And it turns out it's made, it's entirely created from those Maromi dolls. Right. That was a very creepy plastic sort of morphing of, of those dolls into this yeah. artificial world. But I, and I was confused that world because. so interesting. Like the art style yeah. and the. What I found very interesting about that world is that it existed before Tsukiko, who seems to have had the power to summon both Moromi and uh, Lil Slugger. But who creates the world that that Ikari is in? Right? Is it? It's really Ikari's world. But I mean, the implica- is the implication that both of them have sort of supernatural abilities that her delusions or or her creation of this has 
caused other people to be able to do things that they couldn't normally do? How how are we getting these? I guess these... I never thought of it that literally. I get, yeah, I was, I was just realizing, like, maybe I do think that it was all sort of, like, more, like, metaphorical. I, I think because it was way more metaphorical, yeah. personally. Like, because I, like, I guess when I think about the finale with, like, the big, like, city-altering event and whatever else, and, like, the idea of, like, Shonen Bat as an actual, like, you know, attacker... You know, it is kind of fun to imagine that as like that was really happening. But I guess when I, when you put it when you start talking about that, then I go down the road of like, oh well, that's not like that's not literal. Like I guess I always thought of it as being like metaphorical because the series has it makes such a point of pointing out stories that we tell ourselves mm-hmm. as like fantasies and like I feel like that's kind of what this whole show is about. Really, I mean it constantly emphasizes like with the one imposter shown in bat and like his story, like in the one episode I referenced earlier where he like has made up this whole narrative, you know, or like the story or the part you were talking about before the episode with like all of them making up greater and greater and greater yeah, things like the and complete how, falsehoods that are just totally flimsy upon any yeah, examination. And like how some of them we kind of create on purpose and some of them like are just mm-hmm. like kind of bloom within us. Like, and we mm-hmm. want to alter our reality. Certain mm-hmm. um, so heaven knows that there's a lot of people out there doing some reality yeah. altering, but like or playing The Sims before <laughs> you record because you know you, you're sitting next to your real life uh, partner who you love, but like in my game, <laughs> we can have writing jobs and mostly be at home. Like, <laughs> so you know, like. We always want to find something. And I swear that I'm going to let you get to what you're saying, but just to answer that off that real quick, one of the things that I think is really successful and interesting about this show is the way that they demonstrate that both Shonen Bat, this like figment that comes after you when you're too stressed to get you out of stressful situations through like violence, and Maromi, who's this like figure of comfort that everyone latches onto at yes. hard times, they are both elements of trying to escape from when shit is hard. And like, the idea of like those two things being intertwined and like playing into the same sort of thing is just like so fucking fascinating and so well done. But I think they're positioned yeah. as two sides of the same coin. You know, they both come from Toxic the same place and- with the from the same source, even. Yes, uh, Tsukiko's trauma. I don't know what exactly to call it, but I think that yeah, I think that qualifies. No, I, I completely agree that that the show does an excellent job. And especially in the beginning, when you're sort of trying to understand, like, well, is this a figment of someone's imagination? Is this real? What's, you know, the first few episodes, you do not know. And there is no implication that Shonen Bat is real. But at the end of the last episode, they, I mean, they're cleaning up from the devastation for over two years in Tokyo. And um, there's no, Ah. you know, there's no implication that this was not real. And, you know, there's tremendous impact on the physical surroundings please go ahead i was just gonna say i remember my interpretation of that um it's it's funny because like the double is sort of this is that paranoia agent is such a strong show that i was like i feel confident i can go into this episode and like talk about it without having seen it in a year because that's how like much of an imprint it left on me it probably would have been like uh helpful to watch it again but i do remember that the way i felt about that because i was thinking about all this stuff too when i watched it was i was thinking that like what could have happened was that the destruction actually came from the like mass hysteria that built up from these this rumor mongering and everyone sort of becoming paranoid and losing their shit over the rumors about Shonen Bat and just the general sort of like thing that's set up where everyone is like bogged down and stressed out. Like the opening and ending of the show are people 
like in the subways on their phones and like talking about their various problems and whatever else. And so I kind of took it at the time as like, okay, so it could have been this literal big black like uh, blob thing, or it could have been that everyone, it just reached a boiling point in society and like they, there were like riots or like destruction or like whatever else that it could have been like a, a still a literal like catastrophe that would need to be cleaned up from, but it would have been like entirely man-made from the mm. spread of this like, Rumor, or, I, guess. I remember thinking both those things and then also thinking like even a step further to the other side of it just like being completely metaphorical like kind of like you said earlier like it doesn't matter if it's real or not like it like it almost felt like he wasn't concerned with addressing that or like mattering it was just like about like hey this thing happens and like it doesn't matter if this wouldn't have like if this wouldn't or couldn't or whatever happen because it's more about the like kind of like feelings like the two years later is like kind of like the time it would take to for all these characters to heal from this like traumatic thing and start to be in different places and like it's more about like their story and their healing and their kind of like collective i think chris is on to something though in that yeah there they do mention several times that people are stealing maromi that they're going out yeah. and they are like they are they are like um they want it so much they want this answer to all their problems so much it's not unlike the crazy like parents at Christmas that would like look at that would go crazy for Cabbage Patch Kids or any of the years where they had some kind of they had some kind of doll where they they lost their senses for a while. Yeah, people dying at Black Friday. Yeah, and if you combine that with the threat of this sort of like this kid with this bat is gonna get you, then like you know you could get. A, a, a city into a, a, a fervor if you put those two things together you know what I mean like that's a feasible you know I don't mean to make it too serious but we're living in a time where we are literally we are literally living in a time when people are beating up Asian elderly people on the street like because they are freaked out about COVID-19 and they don't know where to place their frustration and their anger yeah yeah but no, that was I a think, serious I thing I darkness... said. Yeah, please, no, please bring us further down. This show down. is though. This show, but this show, this is show really is serious, sort of yeah, yeah. So, like it is a dark show. It's extremely. I mean, it's not a hopeless show at all. Like I think the end of it, you know, like shows that is showing like a healing process that is not clean and is not um, perfect. But it. Well, uh, you know, that's an interesting point that you raise. Is this? A healing pro like we see that characters have moved on right and they have like tsukiko has like a, a regular job which frankly I'm, a still, I'm very confused about like did she simply not make <laughs> very much money um when all this maromi licensing and stuff went on did she does she want to have a job like i'm i'm very curious about that the other characters i understand them resuming more or less normal lives but of course, the ending is very foreboding of mm-hmm. of oh, the cycle yeah. repeating itself. Yeah, that's true. But I think that's like kind of what I mean. Like, I guess I didn't mean healing as like a like a trending upwards process. Like, you know, I think the kind of implication is it's going to happen again in like a broader sense. But like some of these characters that we saw this with are going to like move on. But like this is something that happens like amongst people over and over and over again, even if like the players change and like, I think it's um, hopeful because I think that we get the key to surviving 
these moments mm-hmm. through the characters yeah. of Ikari and his wife Misae. Mm-hmm. You know, they yeah. are faced with extreme hardship and they are tested in ways that er, that are incomparable to many other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, just very difficult Their situation bill. they're put in. <laughs> and and they they power through. And even though she dies on the operating table, her her last intention was of hope. And even though he gave up, he chooses in the end to admit to himself that his time is over, which that's another place you can kind of talk about. But he admits to himself that his time is over. He's lost his place, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he himself is lost. Yeah, and 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 with Don bringing up the thing at the end, with the guy becoming the next old man figure, it is sort of that foreboding of like, oh, like this guy is now just replacing the other one. He's now like falling down this rabbit hole, and whatever else. But if I remember correctly, there was an implication that he had figured out the equation, and I don't think the old man had. Am I remembering correctly? They both got to the same place, and it ends at the same place as the beginning. Okay, so, so it's hard so, okay. to say. So that does. But also, I, I feel similarly to Felix in that, like, it's the thing where, like, most of these characters, with the exception of that guy, he's an unfortunate like victim where he's kind of just been lost to this whole event. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think mean, the other characters, like we've talked about, are have healed and are going to move on, especially with Sukiko and like having the moment where she like finally addresses like with the dog and it's like yes it was my fault but he's like a cassandra so like it's like a different type of like role than like all the other characters the the um the younger detective guy who becomes like the old man what do you mean by that like he's the prophet like who yeah yeah so i'm just saying but it's also somewhat negative because like his life is now like dominated by this you know mysterious completely overtaken but her life is also tragic, isn't she? Like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, but I'm saying, like, like I think, like, both are, all of it is true. Like, no, I wasn't arguing with you. I was yeah. just saying, like, I mean, I'm like, super I smart like, and I know who Cassandra is, but maybe our listeners don't. So you oh, might want to. Sorry. Wanna... Um. Wait. I want to make sure I'm not incorrect. I also before. didn't know what they were referencing. I, I was, um, I got the general gist of it. I was like, oh, like they're going for like the sort of like yeah, like that almost like narrator yeah, sort the, of no, like no 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 somebody okay sorry cassandra it's from greek mythology is like the character who is cursed to utter true prophecies but never to be de- believed yeah so like he's becoming like the cassandra yeah like and i feel like that is like a very different type of role than like the other characters play who are more like players and not like plot <laughs> Don and I discussed his role a little bit during the podcast. And one thing we came up with was that, that he's sort of, um, he sort of represents the side of paranoia where you start to see patterns where they may or may not exist. And the patterns sort of start penning you in and sort of defining who you are rather than you sort of now recognizing them. You sort of are looking for them rather than just recognizing patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, and we feel like he has a tw- he has a turn there during the radar man sort of like. <laughs> I guess, but at the same experience. time, the old man is like always right. <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. That's the thing. Or like, he's just writing like, animals. <laughs> he's just a crazy old guy writing pictures of animals. Because that's what I mean about the Cassandra, right? Because I mean, like, it's like, yeah, he's corrupt. Knows we're gonna believe him. Like, I feel like he's more like unlocked. 
I don't know. To yeah. me, like, I have a very different perspective on that character because I feel like, you know, he's first shown to be the one who's, like, more open-minded and, like, more, like, willing to see... Yeah, yeah willing to sort from, of see like, where it all goes. Uh, yeah, to see where it all goes and see it from a different perspective and, like, understand... And I feel like he's kind of someone who understands like the human psyche better than the older detective. I'm sorry. I don't, I I'm like bad with their names. So I, cause I always refer to them in my head as just like, Ikari is the older one description. So, mm-hmm. um, so like he's more open-minded than the older one. Who's like more stuck in his like one view and can't move past that. And how that like kind of holds him back. Whereas like this guy is like very open-minded and like willing to see where things go. But then that takes him into like very scary places and to like very, you know, like he's now can like see all these different like truths about humanity, but like that has kind of made him like completely incompatible with like society because he can't help but like see it for what it is. He doesn't even seem to see his own sort of slipping into that role coming because at one point he discovers himself doing those radio broadcasts mm-hmm. as if he didn't know that was him. Mm-hmm. It's like he's taken over by like some force of the universe. Yeah, which is kind of what's fascinating about that is that like it's almost like um sort of almost like the shining and caretaker vibe where it's like there's always going to be a person. Oh, it's kind of like Bioshock Infinite too. Like there's always going to be an old man with the chalk trying to you know mm-hmm. figure this out and warn people. Sandra's in like all different types of mythology. Like there's all different versions. I'm of trying that. to tone it down to the plebs. Like Bioshock is playing to the cheeks a little bit more than. <laughs> but like I'm just saying like. <laughs> That's like a character that has yeah. like existed over and yeah. over and over again in different mythology, and I didn't realize it until I said it on this podcast, which is why I keep bringing it back. That's like, why we oh, have wow. it on. I keep realizing, like, oh, that's even better. Like, yeah, that really does make sense. Like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if that was intentional. And now I want to like Google paranoia agent Cassandra. And oh no, like, now um, you're uh, going to be Cassandra. Yeah, exactly. Of yeah. Paranoia I, agent. Okay, but let's be real. If anyone we knew was going to be a Cassandra, it would be fucking me. Yes. Did you do? Did you do much? Pay much attention to or talk about much on the podcast? the old man's like prophecies at the end of every episode leading into the next one we didn't really oh i loved those those were so like chilling and like enticing to me where he's sort of like talking in code about what's gonna happen yeah i would be like what's that gonna mean what characters is referring to because if you pay attention the character the animals he names correspond to the different characters did you like talk about that at all like yeah we talked about the the corresponding between the characters and the animals but so i was just gonna say that if you bring that up and if you consider that as part of like the actual like canon of the show which i do then it lends to the idea of like yes he's now removed from society and sort of like locked into this almost like doomed seeming like cycle of like watching this thing repeat like the negative aspects we talked about but like felix was saying they're also always right this the old man in this role is like directly telling the audience like this is what's going to happen to these people and then we see that happen and so like it's sort of like yeah it's like i don't know i think yeah there's a lot going on there i'm sorry i'm sure y'all have mentioned this on your podcast already but what is this have you both seen the show before or is this your first time seeing it or um i watched it before I rewatched it for the podcast. It was my okay. first time watching it this year. And okay. Dawn watched it um, as we went through the episodes. Okay, right. so, so this when, is very fresh. Okay. So when we, when so for you, example... all three of you are kind of like on the same page in like in terms of a level of experience with it just about... Yeah, pretty much. Because I only watched it yeah. the once about a year ago. Okay, so like it's all relatively new to you all, and okay, I was just saying, I was you just flex on us with your no. old old head. <laughs> no, so what I meant, I was just wondering, like, yeah, yeah. if this was something because this is a show that I am sure you all can imagine 
watching I am it. absolutely <laughs> going to be watching it again. And even just like a couple months ago, I went back and started like Googling things about the show to like to like dive back into that world and try to like read more like theory. I never do the like reading theory shit, but I it's wanted to I wanted to with this show and I wanted to like I pulled I up transcripts write. of all the old man's like predictions, like the prophecies, and, like trying to figure them all out and like yeah. that's okay. fine. We are the hosts of Got It Memorized, what used to be a Kingdom Hearts recap podcast. We did the impossible and finished recapping all of Kingdom Hearts. The whole thing! Now, fueled by our own hubris, we've endeavored to recap other things. We've covered the world ends with you, and now we've moved on to Final Fantasy X. After that, we'll do more tasks that humanity previously thought impossible, like creating Cold Fusion, accessing the Akashic Records, and folding a piece of notebook paper in half more than seven times. Find Got It Memorized on the Orange Groves Podcast Network, on your favorite podcast app, or do what we did and approach a pulsing dark monolith in the middle of your city, promising otherworldly powers in exchange for audio catalogs of JRPG franchises by whispering the secret words of power, Got It, it memorized. memorized. Blitzball! Hi everyone, I'm Andrew. Hi, I'm Marn. This is the Argonauts Podcast. Each week, I'm going to try and solve an old defunct ARG, and Marn's going to tell me what I should have done instead. That's true. Marn, what ARGs have we covered so far? So far, we have covered Spectacular Organic Frog Fractions 2, Sexy Girl Max 2019, and This Is My Milwaukee. And that list is only going to continue to grow. Yep. Come check us out every other Thursday on the Orange Groves Network. And you can find us at ArgonautsPod.com. question for you before you get any further i have to go to this one moment because it was i'm not sure if i interpreted this correctly and it's kind of pivotal at one point uh we get a flashback of sukiko with her dog and we've been told that she let her eyes off of him or she was distracted but then when we see the scene play out it looks like she's getting her period cramp. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, that, Absolutely. I forgot about that. Yep. Oh my god, that part was so weird. I had no idea what to make of that. Like, Okay, so I'm going to turn it over to Don first and get his interpretation. Don, you, did you, first of all, did you see it as a period cramp? And if you did, what did it ultimately mean, do you think? So, no, um, <laughs> I confess that did not occur to me. Um, I... When I bend over and express pain like that, I'm thinking I am suffering a severe bout of localized indigestion um, or otherwise, <laughs> you know, I have a stomach cramp of some sort. Yeah, Much but, less rife for metaphor, that indigestion. But yes, I, I, yeah, it, it definitely period. is. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I would have loved a little bit of blood for us to interpret the um, and not the puppy's blood. Uh, to interpret it, that as I a think period. The puppy's blood is po- supposed to lend to the interpretation of it being. I, think I thought so too. To, you're supposed I to connect with those well, images. I it, it's so a well. rich uh, vein to mine, I confess, but what do we make <laughs> of it? So, <laughs> yeah, I did not look let, let's, let's, uh, I mean, let's all, let's a, all shake it out real quick <laughs> first and then move on. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I'm yeah. I'm willing to entertain the idea that that's what it is, but what sort of additional meaning can we garner from it if it is a period cramp? I think that that's partially what leads her to the big or little lie that she tells and that she, it's now tied up with this sort of embarrassing chapter. Yeah, I don't, mm-hmm. yeah go ahead. I was going to say, because like when you first, I don't know, 
getting your period is weird. Like when you're young, like it's like a weird, like kind of like, oh, like I remember when people would get their period for the first time, people would be like, oh, and like you would all like everyone would look at you like knowingly, like and be like, oh wow, okay, and like it being like a weird thing that you were like afraid for your parents to find out, and you were like embarrassed about, and you'd you're like menstruating, you'd like you hide. may now bear children. You would like hide your underwear, or, like I remember showing it to my friends and being like, is this period? Is that what this is? Like. Yeah. My friend who had had hers being like, yeah, it is. Like, why is this the second podcast on the network I've talked about? Oh, my God. Anyway. Um, <laughs> These are the types of content you gravitate towards. I have nothing to do with that. Uh, yeah, but let me ask you this. If you had gotten your period and also murdered a homeless man in the same, like, moment, would that have stuck with you? Uh, absolutely. Getting my period in gym class stuck with me, let alone if uh if you'd murdered you know, a, like, a harmless old man to a boy I liked. You know, and uh and that stuck with me. I can't even imagine being in that situation and like the shame and awful guilt and like feeling like that's some sort of like punish like divine punishment for like your wickedness almost. I like, think there's also the classic sort of thing of like puberty being like sort of like an end to childhood and so like that's when her life being relatively easy and simple has ended and now there's going to be these big complicated things that she's going to want to hide from like the dog and uh her job stresses that will come with being an adult and sort of like all those things like i i mean i like i like the thought pattern but sukiko's life is extremely um benign like, Not to her, though. Like, well, no, she seems very stressed out when we first yeah, meet her, though. She, she, she's so stressed, stressed for one and only one thing, and that's job stress. There's no relationship stress. There's no housing stress. There's no family stress. There's no there. There doesn't appear to be anything other than job stress related to Marumi. I mean, um, or Marumi's successor. Job stress can be. That can be more than enough. Literally make you want to die. I I am not claiming that it's not. I just, uh, all I'm pointing out is that if we're, there's usual, I mean, the period is often associated with, um, as you mentioned, shame, sexual overtones, whether, you know, it's sex or just the implication of human sexuality, et cetera, and growing up. And I just feel like work stress can be adjacent to some of those, but doesn't, doesn't fit the bill necessarily for the same sort of thing. Like I, there was, there didn't, I would have expected either some relationship drama or some sort of self drama that didn't seem to manifest in that way. Um, Again, uh, this is just my view and I'm not trying to. That's being, no, no, Mm -hmm. for sure. I think part of it is that though there is some self drama because if you look at the show as a whole, all of this is happening, but she has never forgiven herself for that moment. She's still carrying around the trauma of what happened to her dog and the lie that she told to get out of it. And then now she's in a similarly stressful emotional situation and she uses the same lie and she uses the same yeah. figment of her imagination. Like she, that, that is still being carried it's through like her. It's like receding back into a safe space, you know, like, yeah. I feel like in that moment, right. like she felt so much one, she was maybe feeling shame. You know, I mean, it's a period cramp, like a painful cramp, like it's bad, but it's not so bad that like, well, it can be so bad that it's like whatever, non-functional. But you know, I feel like she feels like it was her fault, and she wasn't willing to admit 
that was her fault at that time. She was afraid of getting in trouble. She was a little kid, you know, and but she wasn't a little kid anymore. She was getting she was becoming an adult and like she wasn't taking responsibility and it was her fault. And then she becomes very ashamed and like starts holding that shame within her and clearly becomes an extremely anxious avoidant person who like clearly has never learned how to make connections with others clearly doesn't you know like clearly has very tattered self-image like hasn't forgiven herself for these things has never come to find herself as like a safe place you know so to speak which probably is the reason that you don't see her with a lot of like relationships outside of i'm sure she's destroyed a lot of them i mean like her dad is clearly very aware that she's like making things up you know like and i'm sure other people i mean it shows that too like online everyone's like oh my god she's yeah. a liar yep like right. whatever. no one no one really she, believes her no one yeah. she's like a path i mean she kind of becomes like a pathological liar because it's like a safety mechanism for her it's like this is like a place she can hide like behind this dog i think this is supported by the ending where she reverts to being a little girl and like being accepts that free moment. of responsibility and free of an adult sexuality and just allowing herself to just disappear into the role. I don't even like feel like sexuality comes into it so much with her character, unless I'm forgetting stuff. I she feel certainly like it's has none of it in like, I, I feel like any it's more the idea of like adulthood more so than um, like the, the sexual part that comes with it. Personally, I think it's more just about maturity and there is a certain kind of violence that happens around her though, that, lends itself to sort of a female male relationship. So like um, her, her boss ends up like yelling at her and forcing her into a corner, almost strangling her. Really? He's pushing against her and she keeps getting pinned in by by, by men. Um, Kawazu, the reporter character, he also ends up pursuing her and, uh, like causing her to feel this kind of like threat level like, I feel like it she raises feels her that threat, threat level. with like women too though because doesn't she feel that threat with like the old woman too like the homeless the old homeless woman i mean like she reacts to her like that's another question what is the old homeless? what are all these foils really representative Why do I of? like these old the old characters so much like the old woman and the old man are like my favorite i mean they're great the show is a, this show is full of a lot of Their great characters, character and I think designs are amazing. Oh, absolutely, and I think part of why you like them and part of why I like them is like they're so like mysterious, and there's like there's so much like weight to their appearances. When they show up, you're like shit is like going down. I don't understand what that shit is. I'm gonna get that but, like, tattooed on my body. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, if you compare it to a lot of other anime character design, where they're they're very pretty, they're very slick looking. Uh, everyone looks like they're yeah, most super of those young. Characters just kind of look like some guy. Yeah, they're but, not a lot of very pretty. They're different looking. Even like yeah. the prettier characters are like not that. Yeah, like, yeah. The characters are so fascinating, but I feel like she's just scared of like every. You know, she does make herself very submissive and like very. You know, I just find her very fascinating and like, you know how so much of what she's like and what damage she's causing is just because of this trauma she hasn't resolved and like how much when we don't deal with those things how much that can affect the world around us and like i feel like that's something that's really always spoken to me about this story is like people like if you've been like really traumatized like sometimes like that i mean that can make your life really ugly like i mean like 
And like, I feel like when I know with myself and like my own trauma that I've been through, like, I know that, you know, in reflection, like I acted ugly sometimes or like I caught, you know, like I reflected that back out, you know, like it, it's almost like all that ugliness had to go somewhere and either I could do the really, really hard work of processing it, but sometimes that was like too much. And then you destroy and, the city with the big blob. And, and then you yes. do look, I mean, I did though. I mean, it, like in a sense, I like destroyed my own life. Like, okay, not to be all like academic and like intellectual again, but like, have any of you seen the like, well, this isn't really so academic. She's like for the mass, uh, you know, you know, the Tracy, have you, any of you seen the Tracy Eamon or Emin? I don't know how to say her name. I'm sorry the bed sculpture where it's just like a bed with like a bunch of mats on it but if you'd like to send me a picture of it um if you just search my bed on um on google it should it'll come up as the first result i wanted to ask you though and you brought up an interesting point do you think that in some ways maromi is is not simply intended to heal people but to sort of act as a way for her to lash out at everyone. I find um, Barami very malicious. Yeah, Barami's creepy as fuck. Like, like Barami's terrifying. And I feel like he I feel like Barami's terrifying because it is like all of like her bad coping mechanisms. Like it is this kind of pull downwards into these lies and into these like ineffective coping mechanisms that keep her kind of trapped that feel comfortable. And I think, okay, that's, I'm going to even go talk to him about my bed. Like if you look at a picture, again, it's just a messy, just like picture a messy ass bed. Like, I mean, but I, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. Like I think Maromi, I mean, yes, I understand the larger impact of the duality of Maromi and Shonen Bat is very creepy, but Maromi is, is trying to protect Tsukiko and is very faithful to that protection all the way through the end, even sort of absorbing the black goo that's spreading and trying to protect Tsukiko at all turns. Like there in, yeah, in but I think lots of ways, Moromi is a puppy like... that's just trying to protect her, her master. Yeah. In the end, the giant Moromi does stop the black goo <laughs> which the artist like no formerly face. known as little slugger shonen bat <laughs> i feel like it's almost like no face where like no face legitimately likes the little girl and like wants to give her like a present but like that's like so toxic like the way he, he does everything is like so toxic it like ruins the whole bathhouse and then like it's almost this like is spirited that. away for people that yes. are not familiar um I try to do something more <laughs> relatable, but okay. That's what I was kind of getting into say though. Um, Dom was like about comparing it to my bed sculpture. It's like your bed, like your bed is a place that comforts you. And it's a place that like is needed and necessary and like something that you need to go to. But it can also, if you like rely on it too much, it can become like a, like a negative bad space. Like, you know, like, no, I mean, it, it's like news it's story like, at 10. Like, are you relying too much on your bed? But for real, like, you know, when you're like depressed and you stay in it forever, like, I mean, I feel like that's kind of like Maromi. Like, Maromi is like, a, is like a cute, fun thing, but like, it, it can become like a toxic. I made a joke earlier, kind of quietly, about like the toxic softness or like toxic whatever. It's kind of like what Maromi ends up being for her and the way that she like relies on. But what like, is Maromi to everyone else? Yeah, I. 
Because, yeah, Maromi only protects Maromi is Tsukiko. Disney. Maromi's Mickey Mouse. Maromi is... Hello Kitty. Is, exactly. Is, is like a, a soft, lovable thing that makes you feel good, but other things make you feel bad. And, like, but, like, you know, the fact that it came from... Because I think that what will help explain a lot of this... Not, like, explain. It's all fucking art and it's whatever. But, like, I think what is good to think about with the dog is to remember that when we're talking about whether it is... Um, this positive thing for her or this negative malicious figure it's both, it's both. and like not like not just say that for everything and this podcast but like i mean that's a lot of the show but like because it is it is a cute character she designed that makes you know kids and adults a lot around the world happy but it's uh, inspired by her dead dog that she was responsible for killing and is but very also, tied to her own sort of like but tragic also, like it's inspired by her dog who she loves it's named you know? it yeah she loved her dog and she also did not kill her dog i think that's unfair well, she the dog ran like off in a period of weakness and like was killed by the yes, wild world she feels like she killed her dog is what i meant to say i'm not blaming her for it but um and so, so I, a kid's perspective that was her fault. yeah and so like when the dog does sort of absorb that if i remember correctly that only happens once she forgives herself for what happened to the dog so like then this memory of the dog can stop being such a harmful thing and can become a more mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. helpful Comfort. loving creature no, it, like, was, it was before it the the dog protects her before it's because when she you know bids goodbye to the dog when she forgives herself then both Maromi and Shonen Bat vanish entirely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maromi is an escape. Maromi is yes. a protective force. Maromi is an escape. And she puts it out into the world, I think, with good intentions. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But what she doesn't realize is she's tied her trauma to it in a way that... Uh, in a way that sort of infects people. And I, I'm almost thinking like, it's almost like what's happening today with Twitter and stuff where you'll just see something people like put all their hopes and and escapism into, you know, whether it's Marvel or it's DC or it's, I don't know. I was just reading about Naughty Dog and how like people are still talking about how The Last of Us Part Two ruined everything and it was just to catered to the wrong crowd and it, it, they shouldn't have killed Joel and all the other things that are wrong with the series, you know, like, um, and yet those same people were the ones who were like, Oh my God, the, the last of us naughty gods. Like they, they, they were so gung ho about like the positive side and the worshiping. And it happens with, uh, with celebrities and cancel culture. And I'm not criticizing cancel culture. I'm saying that because we put so much hope and so much, we become like Maromi was a totem for people's, you know, uh, for people's hope. And and it, it became a way of relieving their anxiety. And if you put all of your energy into this totem, then when that totem fails you, or you can't have it, or whatever it is that that lets you down, uh, you have nothing else to fall back on, and it turns it flips that love into hate pretty quickly. And I feel like Moromi also was a way of it, it's even the character, the looks of it. On the one hand, it was cute, but every so often we'd see it, and it would be very sinister. Yeah, and dude, the fucking image in the end credits where it's everyone's laying in the grass oh. in a circle around it, like fucking nightmare shit. Fucking cultish cool. yeah? yeah yeah um don I'm, I'm just curious it seems like you tend to maybe like the more like taking it literally like line of thought is that 
is that true? Like you, you're you're tending to look at this as like a real like supernatural story more so than the like. Well, yeah, I I don't mostly because I don't know how to reconcile the actions of all the characters if it's all meant to be sort of fantasy. Like, or uh, the, because in the beginning, it's easy to see, to to do that juxtaposition, like this can all be in everybody's heads. But as we go further along, like it gets harder and harder for me to reconcile this is all a perversion of reality that only exists in people's minds. I guess I Um, don't so much think that it, I guess I don't so much think that in the show it's not literally happening as it is that I think that that like doesn't matter and that it the point it stays the same either way that like even if in the like like in the worlds of the people in it like this is literally happening the point is still that in our real world it's supposed to be taken as like a representation of what goes on like within people well and i think that that's actually what's set up in those first five episodes or so before Mm -hmm. in fact before the the happy family planning episode where things really take a grim turn um after that episode i should say because it does that good job of of sort of just tickling your consciousness with this stuff saying you know maybe it went the way we showed it to you or maybe it didn't maybe this is all just made up in people's heads and that allows you to sort of apply that framework going forward to where even we reach the end of this episode and, you know, the city has been devastated and you're saying, well, you know, maybe that was just the hallmark of something else that happened and we're blaming it on, you know, this this uh, showdown between Maromi and, mm-hmm. and Shonen Bat. Well, I think either way, it still is coming from the same place. Like, whether it's literally happening or it's just in people's minds, like, it's still coming from, like, Maromi was made from her psyche. Like, and, like, this blob was, like, made from, like, you know, like, the same type of thing. So, like, even if it is, like, I guess that's why I say, I'm saying that I don't know if it matters so much because either way, like, it's still coming from, like, the same, the same place and the very same, like, kind of, like, very human, like, like self-destruction in a way like of anxiety and like stress and um, what we kind of like do to our ourselves if we don't. Yeah, no, I, I agree yeah. with that. I, I think it, the, the meaning you can tease out of it is the mm-hmm. same, whether it's real or imagined. Part of what I think works well about mm-hmm. this story where you can sort of look at it both ways and like have a good time with it either way, as opposed to other things that try to do something like that. But because I think other things are sort of more like, oh, like, they, they're crazy, it's all in their head, and, like, for everyone else, like, nothing happened. But in this world, I think either way you slice it, things were happening, and it's just whether you take it to be, like, there were literally this kid with the bat and literally mm-hmm. big whatever, or people were behaving in a destructive way because of stuff in their head. But that still happened. Like, regardless, like, like it was, it was I think that's way more effective than, like, some things where they try to pull it where, like, and it was all a dream, or, and it was all this person mm-hmm. being psychotic, and for everyone else, nothing happened. Like, I think that this works because like you said, it whether it was the big scale supernatural thing or just like kind of like a, a, a weird mass, realistic but unusual social scenario, it all comes from the same mm-hmm. place. Like I wanna thank you both for coming on. Uh it's been a lively and fun it. and in in a, and I hope enlightening discussion for people listening. <laughs> I just love that all of those like like lively discussions and debates were had while Don was wearing a cape. That was really amusing to me the whole time. Yes, well... Th- I'm glad we're bringing up the cape again. I'm <laughs> going to show people pictures of the cape. 
Oh, Don's gonna oh, Don's gonna have a whole calendar of Boy Scout looks. That's a good idea. <laughs> so, where can people find you? What What can they check out that you've done or that you that you oh, currently I have to, like, the promoting? Ones. When is this episode going to come out? This episode comes out um, the end of March. Okay, well then, hopefully by the time this episode comes out, and if not, very shortly after, um, we are relaunching Queers on Film. So that is a podcast for me and my friends, uh, Aaron and Oscar. Um, They are rotating co-hosts, discuss uh, queer movies, uh, a viewer's choice, and uh, or rather guest choice, and uh, talk about them. So... We will be relaunching soon, I believe, with an episode either about The Favorite or My Own Private Idaho. Um, so check that out. Queers on Film. You can find it anywhere. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, my name is Felix Kingsley um, at E-P-S-I-L-I-N-A. That is Epsilina. Uh, yeah. I'm so excited to have something to plug. It's been so long since I've podcasted. You can listen to my old one at Summer Twilight Book Club. That sounds great. I want to hear someone talk a lot about The Favorite because it is one of my personal favorites favorites i'm excited i haven't seen it before it's a good movie i gotta watch it tomorrow um you can find me at Topher disgrace um i have recently had some uh comics published including a uh 40 page manga one shot that uh i'm really proud of and some other dope stuff all of that can be found on my twitter um i got my website on my bio and shit like that um yeah very cool Thank you all for listening. And if you want to reach out to us and tell us what you want to see and, uh, you know, just tell us how you, what you think of the show and what we can do to make it better for you or worse. Anything is possible. It's like, yeah, have those two back on to debate the ending of every anime. Um, you can have a, you can, yeah, why not? We you, loved having you. We did. Uh, you can reach you. us at OKASHINA podcast on Twitter. Can I offer a recommendation for a show for you two to do in the future? Absolutely. I'm going to assume you haven't already. Yeah. You should do Kids on the Slope. Yeah, just keep covering shows that I showed Chris. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of Kids on the Slope? It's so good. No, is it? does it have a Japanese title? or? Uh, it does, but I don't remember it. Oh, you, okay. It goes, you can search it by Kids on the Slope. Yeah, it, the you'll sub. find it. We get back, We could only find the sub searching Kids on the Slope. Well, I'm always interested. I just finished watching The Promised Neverland. Neverland. Yeah, I've heard, which, good, I've heard really good things about that too. Yeah, really loved Kids the first season. Only, what, 12, 12 episodes? <laughs> yeah, Kids on the Slope is real short, which would be nice for your podcast to be able to, you know, do yeah. it quickly. And it well, has very good cool. Music, if you like jazz. We have a tradition here on the show. Chris is already aware of it, but Felix, this is your first time. We say, Okashiku ikoyo, which means let's get peculiar, basically. And it's, we have everybody say it on the count of three, and it never sinks properly, but we're gonna try again. Are you ready? It's Okashiku Ikoyo. One, two, three. Okashiku, Okashiku Ikoyo. Ikoyo. Wow. I think it's I like we're the same person. <laughs> I think I did better the second time than the first time. All right, do you wanna try again? Well, no, you said I, it was perfect. Yeah, you said it was good. It was-